0: Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com thrive for 20% off your first order. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it?
1: I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. And we're bringing spooky season early, y'all. We are, because...
2: You won't be here for spooky I know. season. I don't
1: want to talk about it. It's going
2: to make me, gonna <laughs> make me cry. We're not going to cry. We're having fun. Yet. But I'm, I mean, any time of the year, you and I are down for horror movies. All that was ways. like, you're, if I think of someone that I want to see a horror movie with, you'll be the first person that I'd think of. Because we would watch, we went through like a whole, like, um, at least I know I went through a phase of really loving like demonic possession movies oh
1: I love because like, we religious watched a horror lot of those
2: is one of my favorite genres yeah not surprisingly it's like all of like the crazy religious shit of course yeah. is like the stuff that we're fascinated by and it was the stuff that terrified me the most as a kid like I thought that if I watched The Exorcist as a kid that I would get possessed
1: I still think that there aren't enough good religious horror movies like yeah. there are people keep making exorcism movies or whatever but oftentimes they're like not very good
2: Yeah, Um, or they're a playoff of something that's already been made.
1: Yeah, but I adore horror movies. I feel like that's something that a lot of people do know about me. I really like a good horror film. I just watched X for the first time, which I liked a lot, Uh, a lot of interesting things about that movie. But because I like horror movies so much and have for a really long time, it is kind of shocking that I've never really seen Jennifer's body. Like, not really. Like, I think I'd, it'd been on at a party or, like, right. on in a hotel room, but I'd never, like, sat and watched it. And, and we'll talk about this, you know, when we start breaking down the marketing of the film and all the behind-the-scenes stuff, but I really do think that a lot of that was the internalized misogyny of 2009. Ding, ding, ding. And the way they made me hate Megan Fox.
2: Okay, Thank you for saying that, because I wanted to say I, too, have always been a horror fan. But I, I, I remember seeing the trailers to this and thinking it looked stupid. Yeah. Because the way that and like I said, we're going to get into this. But I think it's important to state that the way the trailer was made didn't make it seem like anything I would be interested. No, in. they they really marketed this all wrong because the target
1: audience should have been women and yeah. it wasn't it was straight teenage boys mm-hmm. and then you, you know there was this whole I do really feel like there was this campaign that was like women shouldn't like Megan Fox because she's a slut and, and because she's pretty and because she's hot like she's that we a just little too pretty she's a
2: little too talented she's a little too young and I think that a lot of people didn't give her any credit because of all of those things it's impo- apparently it's impossible for someone to be a legitimately great actress, and still be hot I, as hell. At the I same have time. to say,
1: I think she shines in this movie. She I does. Think she's so good in it. I, and I'll be honest, like I don't think she was great in in Transformers, but I don't think that's her fault. I think that Transformers
2: was a bad movie, and right? <laughs> like, well, and I think that this could have been a role for her to expand her acting career and to really start taking more different or edgier or deeper characters. But the fact that this movie did so terribly, it really kind of damaged Megan Fox's career as well for a really long time, along with all the other things in the media that were truly tearing her down. But this was like, yeah, this was the height of, it was a year after Juno. It was two years after Transformers. Right, because Diablo Cody wrote this. Thank you, the same person who wrote Juno, yeah. Yeah, so there was a lot of, I think, hype But at the same time, a lot of waiting for both those women, Diablo Cody and Megan Fox to fail. And hoping that they fail. Exactly. I mean, and
1: there was, yeah, there was so much going on that we'll get into with with Megan Fox, like where Hollywood was really actively trying to destroy her. Yeah. Uh, So I do want to say before we jump into the recap, because we're going to recap the movie and then we'll kind of get into the weeds about some of that other stuff. Um, But before we we recap the movie, I do want to say, I... Loved this movie. I, I very much enjoyed this movie. Hated the ending, but we'll have that conversation. I really enjoyed this movie. However, I feel like there has to be a big asterisk here. Because not only was this movie very 2009. Uh, yeah. But also, as much as I love Diablo Cody, I still to this day love Juno. Despite the fact that there's a lot of problematic, anti arguably anti-choice stuff in, yeah, in yeah. Juno. Um, I still loved it when it came out. I I was obsessed
2: with. I was. I quoted it nonstop all the time,
1: and I actually find her writing style to be campy and funny. Mm -hmm. I enjoy it. However, she does have a tendency to use a lot of language that is certainly not acceptable today. I would argue was borderline not acceptable at the
2: time. I would say that a lot of the things that are said. You should have known better even in two thousand nine. Because I put that in the cut. Co- like that was a lot of, a lot of words. Them, or iterations of that. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and that is one thing that like I have because that was something that was used so much when yes. we were growing up, yeah. same as like, oh, it's so gay and things like that. Yeah. I have people in my life that will every once in a while that word will slip. It, i same no it is the r word we don't say it, it makes me that word makes me incensed it makes me because it is crawl. the stupidest punching down and ever. That's, and that's the thing that bums me out a little bit
1: about the writing of this movie and sometimes diablo cody's writing in general is that a lot of the humor does feel like punching down like there's a few instances of arguably gay slurs in in the movie. Oh, I was going to
2: say it, there's strangely some homophobia, even though I think that they're on the flip side of that is also great, like bisexual representation and some other things like that. But at the same time really, really horrible language that I think a lot of teenagers at that time used. Definitely. But we didn't necessarily have to perpetuate it in a film that's going to be here forever. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you know,
1: we'll talk about all of those things as well, but I did just want to say that because... I think, and we've had this conversation many times when you're talking about your problematic faves, it's possible to enjoy something while also recognizing like... Certain things are wrong. Eek, you know, a a, a lot of stuff and that that stuff jumped out at me a lot throughout the movie. Um, However, this movie is every... Like up until the ending, so much about this movie is right up my alley and I kind of wish I'd watched it Whenever I was
2: a teenager when it came out because I don't think I would have responded to it the same way. Really? What's funny is I think this movie is so similar to Teeth. Oh yes, it but is. But I think that the obvious ridiculousness of Teeth, it was badly written, it's badly performed, it's campy, obviously. But I think Jennifer's body kind of toes that line a little bit. And I think that I was I was a very picky TV and movie watcher when I was younger I don't think I would have appreciated it until I was well I guess this was 2009 maybe I would have but I think that I would have had to be like more in my early adult years that's funny to appreciate it you know
1: I don't know I guess I guess I can't say but I think because the writing is so campy to me and that this very much falls in it's considered a horror comedy
2: movie yeah it's like a dark yeah horror comedy or whatever you want that to call
1: it I, I still think I would have I think I would have enjoyed it and then Obviously, if you were a teenager at this time period and you had any kind of like hot topicy inclinations inclinations, uh, this movie was very much for Which you. Which is another
2: why I wish I, I had watched it in a yeah. lot of ways. But I think that when I was younger, a lot of it would have gone over my head and I wouldn't have enjoyed sure. it. Like, I think I was just judgy about stuff when I was younger. I, I'm certain, you know,
1: that's it's. That's interesting to say, like, if if I would have liked it or not. But looking back on it now, it is exactly the kind of thing that I should have liked. Like, it's, yeah. there's so much women being badass in certain act in certain respects and maybe not so much in other respects. Um, but then there's also that very like emo pop punk culture is an undercurrent throughout the entire movie. There's and it's the all Gable about Coda's female writing.
2: friendships too. And I think that like most, if you've been through high school or if you're in high school and you watch that movie, especially between like two female friends, I think that the friendship between needy quote unquote and Jennifer exemplifies so many young female friendships. Right. And the heaviness of it and the, at times, like, not romanticism, but that that same feeling that you would get for a partner, that same attachment feeling that you have for your girlfriends was really right. displayed in this movie. And sometimes...
1: Your love for your girlfriends is stronger than your love for your high school boyfriend, exactly or, or whatever, exactly. Um, so we'll definitely explore that more. I do think that there are edits to this movie that I would have liked to have seen made, um, that could have made that aspect stronger, right? To me, but okay, let's let's start recapping here. Let's do it. So we meet Needy, and Needy is short for Anita. I did find something interesting here. And that was that Needy was never meant to be her name. Like, it was shorthand for Diablo Cody was, like, writing, like, this This character's supposed to be Needy, and she didn't come up with a name for it so yet. So she just called her Needy. So she just called her Needy, and then by the end of the script, she made up Anita. She was like, I want to keep Needy. Yeah. So she made up Anita. Too, so that she can, and I like that
2: because if you're not reading it and you just hear "needy," it does kind of sound like it's a cute little nickname for Anita. But then when you see it written, it really is. Again, it plays up that campness of this film. Yes, this person is literally needy for her best friend. So we're setting the tone right away. Yes, so it opens up
1: on needy in a mental health facility. It definitely feels More like, like a prison. prison. Yeah, it feels like a prison. But I think she says it's a mental asylum or something. The like way
2: that. that I thought of it is like if you were to go to trial and if you weren't suitable for prison, yes. they would send you instead to a mental institution. It's yeah. one of those things where you're still a prisoner, but you are in a mental institution instead yes. of being in a prison. Like orange jumpsuits, the whole,
1: whole night, right? And then we see a flashback to two months before and see that back then she was just a regular kind of nerdy girl with a band geek boyfriend whose best friend was the extremely gorgeous
2: Jennifer. Who Uh, was a cheerleader and paton twirler. Did you see or The flag. Yes. Twirler. I, I couldn't
1: figure it out because so many kind of like ads for this movie and reviews for this movie call her a cheerleader. But. She looked like she was like
2: a color guard person. She she was totally like a color guard because I saw an area pom pom.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I do have to also say Megan Fox is stunning in this movie. I mean, she
2: was literally carved by the gods and given to us on a silver platter. Yeah. Why is Megan Fox so beautiful? She's. In this movie
1: it is it is a little she's one of those people you know how when people are described and they're like it hurts to look at them Yes and I'm like what does that even mean when I'm reading a novel it it it's kind of this because like she's so perfect looking in yeah. this movie, which truly. makes this role even better. <laughs> right. It is it's so great. Uh, but that's her best friend. They are like sandbox best friends. Yeah, and, and they, sandbox love never dies. I think is the line. That's
2: something they said. Well, and in the beginning, when we see Jennifer like twirling her flags or whatever, you know, Needy's in the audience, like, oh my god, hi, I'm so excited, and this one girl. First homophobic yep. line of the movie. She's like, you're lesbian gay. And I was like, what is lesbian gay? It's a very Diablo Cody thing to say. Like, it's one of those,
1: like, supposed to be quippy Juno type phrases. Exactly. Yeah. Like,
2: you're lesbian gay for each other. And she's like, no, we're just best That's friends. That's And it's kind of this also, like, people around them can't believe that, you know, they really dressed Amanda Seyfried down. This gorgeous girl is really, really dressed down to look as plain as possible. Truly, because... Take a look at
1: Amanda Seyfried, who's like one of the most stunningly beautiful. Like she's yeah. such a beautiful woman as well. And yeah. Like so putting her next to Megan Fox and then dressing her the way they did. Like they really had to work, I think, to make. I her think
2: I mean, they did the very obvious frizzy hair. They did glasses. The glasses they did, you know, very pale overalls. makeup. She's wearing very dowdy clothing. But it's very obvious to the audience and also to the people in their school where they're like, you're. Friends, and I think that when I first saw this too, I was like, "What's Jennifer's ulterior motive here?" Because I feel like in in movies and TV shows, it's like usually the popular kid has a reason to want to hang out with this nerdy best friend.
1: Yeah. But it
2: truly, although she does have power over that relationship, definitely. Yes. It does seem like she truly does have the same amount of love in her heart for Needy as Needy does for her.
1: Yeah. Especially in the beginning. I mean, I think yes. that that's what's tricky about this movie and we can talk kind of at the end, whether or not we think this is a deliberate choice or not, but the movie doesn't do a good job of developing Jennifer's character. Like she's kind okay. of all over the place in my opinion. Like No, I, I can see that. Because you only get a very small glimpse of her before she becomes like a succubus demon. Yeah. And so I do think in the beginning their relationship, although yes Jennifer is exercising some power, some manipulation over Needy. She gets her to do things she wants. She gets her to wear things that she wants her to wear. Yeah, she
2: can't look as hot as her when they go out, but she still has to look
1: good. Right, like, so those things, I do think, though, you can see a genuine, like, affection for for Needy in the beginning, for sure. So uh, they end up going to a rock show. She's like... (laughs) But
2: she's like, let's go to a club. I want to say, actually, so this... Town, Devil's Kettle, Mm -hmm. Minnesota, is based on Grand Marais, Minnesota, which is a real small town. I googled it today, and I can't remember, I didn't write the exact words, but it's called like the hippest small town in the world. Huh. It's like supposedly got a bunch of cool stuff there. Now it's like tourism guide to Grand Marais, And I'm like, interesting. Well, it um, was not, it was not this place, which was not a club. No, it was, it was a, a dive, dive bar. bar. Yeah, which is what I consider. And I wanted to also mention, we didn't really mention this part in the beginning yet. There's this mysterious waterfall. Yeah. Yes. Do you know this waterfall is real? I did not. Okay. I did research on that as well. It is real. It's in Minnesota. It's up near Duluth by Lake Superior and scientists really have for years and years been trying to understand what happens so it like splits in the east side you can kind of see where it spits out into the lake Uh but on the west side when you drop things in there's no apparent exit place for any of these things so people would scientists would go and throw things in people would throw things in and it was gone forever supposedly right well scientists now believe that it's probably running underground and then ending up still back in Lake Superior but not with a clear opening yeah so so far
1: underground
2: yeah it's it's just really fucking deep
1: which is what they say in the beginning they're like either it's like a supernatural thing or just really or deep. it's just yeah. really really
2: deep exactly yeah. but I thought that was interesting because Juno takes place in St. Cloud Minnesota because Diablo Cody is, is she
1: from Minnesota she's from Minnesota yeah, yeah. Right. so
2: and then this is also from a very like this is an even more ra- like people have heard of St. Cloud for the most part and I don't know why but like that's some- there was that movie wasn't there there was like something St. Cloud with Zac Efron in it Oh yeah, something St. Cloud and then um there was Marshall from How I Met Your Mother is from St. Cloud, Minnesota and how, in that show and uh but this is like a literal like nowhere town up by like north like you're reaching Canada at this point in Minnesota. So it's interesting to kind of see that because it's true it's like we're gonna go to a club like my friends and i went to a 16 plus club in high school or whatever and it was like in a strip mall you know what i mean like it's so not Mm -hmm. like what you want it to be but in your head because that's all you have she's like it's a club we're gonna go see this band at a club we're like 17 and this is all like this dive bar Is all we have. So it might as well be a club. Right. right?
1: And so they're going because Jennifer wants to drag Needy along to see this rock band called Low Shoulder.
2: Um, And the lead singer of this rock band is Adam Brody. So 2000. I mean, honestly, Adam Brody, I feel like his peak was maybe earlier 2000s. Yes. But this is still like very peak. Well, and Adam he's, Brody. he's hotter in this than he was in the OC. I, I will say, I'm like... Well, in the OC, Seth was more like meek nerdy. and shy yeah. and nerdy. And in this, he's got like his eyeliner, eyeliner on. He's like playing the cool neck musician. Tattoo. Yeah, he's kind of dark and mysterious. Yes, exactly. And uh, who else is at this bar? Uh, Chris Pratt. <laughs> Fucking Chris Pratt. I don't like him. And he's creepy. And he says the anti-gay F word. I'm like, of course he does. Yeah,
1: I mean, and also he insinuates that him and Jennifer are hooking up, but he is overage and she is not. So there's that happening as well. Uh, But so they get there and she really, really wants to... Jennifer really, really wants to, like, hook up with the lead singer. He seems into her. She, like... Goes and gets them some shots. She gets some them 9/11. a nine
2: eleven tribute shot. <laughs> Which, wow. They are red, white, and blue stacked shots. So she goes, but you gotta drink quickly or else it turns brown. You know, it's, it's, I'm not gonna lie to you, I laughed. Uh, okay, this, but this is the thing like, have you ever watched any of Pete Davidson's comedy? Not real. I mean, maybe a little bit. I I really have a, a spot in my heart for Pete Davidson. I do said. love him, I, yeah. I love the guy. But he, you know, his father died in 9-11. And yeah. And he makes, he'll, he'll make jokes like that and some other comedians will. And I think that when done right, it's funny. I agree. You can't, you have to laugh at things like that because people did this. Yes. Like after that happened, everybody, this level of, patriotism that swarmed the country even eight years later in this movie or seven years later in this movie they're still doing these 9-11 tribute drinks and there's the big signs on the wall and all this kind of stuff it's
1: an overarching theme that was very deliberate on Diablo uh, Cody's part where she has this kind of political um, messaging that's very very subtle throughout So Jennifer runs to go get the shots and while she's gone, Adam Brody and one of the bandmates start talking about Jennifer and saying, like, I think she's a virgin. What would make you think Jennifer is a virgin? Especially, look, not to stereotype anybody, but this was a 2009 movie when Needy is right there.
2: (laughs) Uh, That's what I'm saying. I'm like, Jennifer, she is hot as hell we've already seen that overage men you know that are not minors are hitting on her all this stuff and I'm not saying that beautiful people obviously have sex young but I think if you were to like Give the best bet if you really wanted spoiler alert your satanic sacrifice to work, yeah. Wouldn't you pick someone that was like maybe more obviously a virgin, yeah. which neither of them were? And that's the thing, right. like Nadia isn't a virgin and Jennifer isn't a virgin, yeah. Neither of them were, but it was that was a,
1: a hitch in the plan for me. You do have you have a there's a lot of suspending of, of disbelief. These
2: boys were not thinking very no, clearly, I mean,
1: but they do say it like Adam Brody is like it's always the ones in these small towns that like look
2: for lack of better look, turns, like look they the would, sluttiest, is yeah. but
1: aren't but but don't give it up right that's kind yeah. of like what he he says that was the justification the movie gave but yeah it's and needy
2: and needy decides to stand up for her friend and she was like she is a virgin so what i hear you talking about her and all this stuff and i'm like why would you first of all when you know it's not true i don't know i just seems like that seemed like such an awkward interaction but also very um, point with her character and something her character might do to defend her friend in a very nerdy kind of like not socially yeah. acceptable way. I
1: think she did it because she thought that if she told them that she was a virgin, they'd leave her alone. Like they didn't want to hook up with a virgin. Like I think that that was her idea was like. Uh, you know, I, I want them to leave my friend alone. So I'm going to say like, yeah, she is a virgin and she would never stoop to your level to hook well, up with you.
2: And Jennifer kind of tries that tactic too later on as well, so. Yes,
1: but we do learn in that scene, you know, because Needy does go to Jennifer and she's like, these guys, I heard them talking about you. They only want you because they think you're a virgin or something like that. Or, yeah. or I told them you were a virgin, something like that. And she says, you know, I'm not even a backdoor virgin anymore. Yeah. Right? So she establishes right from the top that like she is not a virgin, but they don't tell the bandmates that. Right.
2: And they play, you know, I love me some 2000s me punk too. rock so much. This song sucks. <laughs> and it's been stuck in my head. Through the trees. Yep. I will
1: find
2: you. I'm not
1: going to lie to you, though. <gasps> if I'd heard this song when I was in high school, I probably would have liked it. It's it's very, like, Hoobastank-esque. Oh,
2: Hoobastank. Yeah. Do you ever listen to Secondhand Serenade? Yes. Because tonight will be <laughs> the night that I will fall for you. you. Yep. Oh, my God. So it all is very reminiscent of that. It's so funny because, like, since I watched... professionally, Yes. Oh, my gosh. I love it. Um, But since I watched this movie, I have been on such a, like, pop punk punk rock kick. I played that Pandora station at work all day today. Make Damn Sure was playing. My Chemical Romance was playing. It's my favorite. It genuinely... It was the music that I was listening to at this time. Exactly. So, like, I... yes I love it we would have been down with this soundtrack this song maybe I would have loved it when I heard it when I was younger it is so it's cringy now bad Yeah, and they play it so much throughout this movie that I was ready to throw Max's laptop across the bedroom (laughs) (laughs) so
1: they start playing the music right and I don't know What's going on? Like, Because I feel like Jennifer's personality kind of changes. I don't know if she's entranced by the music, if there's something witchy going on, because she is very... Fixated. Fixated and focused on, on them playing. Don't know. Uh, but then... A fire breaks out. And yeah. I think we're
2: led to believe that they did something to make the fire happen. I think so. But it really, it, it seemed to me at the beginning because we see when Needy is in the like, psych ward or whatever you want to call it, that she sees hallucinations. Yes. I like paused it on that page of all of like the symptoms or whatever. So I'm like, well, maybe she's hallucinating and seeing this fire, but it doesn't actually happen because it doesn't seem like everyone else around her is really reacting to it at first either until it is obvious that the bar is on fire. Right,
1: yeah. And I don't... So I don't know where or how that started, but I I assumed by the way the band members acted as the fire was happening and after it happened that they had something to do with starting it. So I don't know if they like rigged something to go up while they were performing. I don't know. But it is this horrible,
2: disastrous thing. People are dying all over the place. I mean, yeah, people are like on fire. Yeah, they're on fire and they're like trampling each other. You're Mm -hmm. hearing bones like crunching. It's pretty vicious. Yeah. And so Needy manages to
1: get herself and, uh, Jennifer out through a bathroom window and she's like, we need to go, we need to go, we need to get out of here. But again, there's something really weird going on, I feel like, with Jennifer, where yeah. she's like very, I don't know if she's in shock. Or I was she's gonna just- say,
2: it seemed like she was in shock after the fire, but then when you think about the way that she was kind of in this loopy, trance state and I'm wondering I mean it kind of reminds me of how a lot of young girls are with rock stars in general I don't know if it's just kind of this like he talked to me and he's singing and it's this thing it could have just been that she was overcome by that maybe or because like they don't have any powers of any kind it's not like they are you wouldn't
1: think so right
2: yeah because they have to do this sacrifice or whatever but I'm wondering if it was just a representation of Jennifer's infatuation I think when it comes to it's not just a regular guy this is like this musician and they're not from the small town they live this bigger more exciting life that she maybe wanted to live I kind of saw it as her almost getting like swept up in that moment and then after the fire it seemed like because she wasn't really in her right mind she just seemed super in shock and out of it when they left yeah you know
1: it's it's interesting too because There have been so many allegations against lead singers or band members from these like emo pop punk bands whose um, their demographic was me whenever I was in high school, like teenage girls for the most part. And a lot of them were overage. And a lot of stuff has come out recently about a lot of, like, sexual abuse and stuff that happened. Um, because grooming. they were making
2: this music so specifically for those girls, right. and they were these love songs and inspirational songs, and they were written in a way that made you feel things, and it moved right. you. And, and
1: those were the girls who were going to your concerts, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of that stuff that's been revealed now, a lot of predatory behavior from these types of bands. Right. Not something that Diablo Cody could have known at the time, but No, but I think hindsight. that it's a
2: very common thing with... You you know, musicians being narcissists in relationships right. and stuff. When it comes to, and I shouldn't say, I'm saying it's a stereotype because for some reason it's been strictly like musicians and actors and movies and TV shows. Whereas kind of like this person doesn't actually care for you; they just care about their success. Well, and, and athletes and like I think it's yeah, like a yeah, lot, just anybody in the public eye really, right? Um, but. You
1: can very clearly tell that this band is not worried about the situation. They try to get uh,
2: no. He's immediately, which is why I'm like, you started this fire. He's immediately like, I'm I'm in survival mode right now. You girls come into my van. Yeah, chug this chug
1: this whiskey first because he like yeah. gives her a drink right, and she goes with them. Needy tries to stop her, although not very hard I think I would try a little harder if somebody was trying to get you into not, I'm not blaming her at all I'm just saying that like, yeah. That I do feel like maybe that was a
2: writing mistake well I think that it. in order for the story to move forward Needy couldn't physically interject but I think that if like if some guy ever took your hand and started leading you toward the van you better believe I would have your other hand and I'd be pulling twice as hard and I would right. be saying get your fucking hands yeah, off her yeah you're making a scene yeah you know what I mean I'm like, getting I would everyone be around me to see what's going on so that you feel embarrassed enough to fucking stop what yeah. you're doing I mean,
1: and obviously, you know, something really bad is going to happen. So she gets in the car, you see the door shut, and then Needy goes home that night. And later that night, Jennifer comes over. She's banged up. She's bloody. She does not look good. She does not look uh, good. She tries to eat an entire rotisserie chicken and then throws up spiky black vomit. <laughs> Do you
2: know that was made with Hershey's chocolate sauce? I didn't, but man, is it gross. It is real gross. Yeah. And I mean, honestly... The puking up the black stuff grosses me out less than the ravenously eating of a rotisserie chicken on the floor. That grosses me out. I don't know why. Yeah, I mean that was gross. It's not great. It's
1: not great. But so she, I mean, it's she's very scary. She's very clearly in this
2: in this other state. She's like ravenously hungry and mm. out of it and needy. Is very scared and yeah. not understand and she can't get through to her friend. She doesn't know what's going on, and so she goes to her phone and goes to call nine one one. This spurs Jennifer to just kind of lose it and she starts to try to attack Needy a little bit and goes to bite her and then stops herself and then she leaves.
1: Yeah. And then the next day, because for some reason everybody decided to show up to school the next day. Do you know, I would not be going to school the day after I was in like this horrific, yeah, <laughs> you know, a, a accident where an entire place burned down and a lot of people I knew died. Exactly, horribly. I would not be going to school. Yeah, and this
2: is such a small town that it's like they literally they know everybody. everybody. Yeah, yeah,
1: so. Uh, but they do, they all go to school, everybody is really upset about this, except for Jennifer, Jennifer seems fine, never seemed better, she's acting really like, kind of, well blaze. she's being kind of crass too, yeah, when they blaze. mention
2: anything about people dying, she's like, whatever, who cares, yeah. and it's like, okay, and then also
1: very gaslighty towards Needy, who was like, you were at my house last night, and, and she's, she's like, like, no I wasn't, yeah, no, no, um, so she then lures this jock guy who had been crying because his friend got killed in the fire. Um, she lures him into the woods. She seduces him. She's like, your friend would have wanted us to hook up. Basically. Yeah, like this is
2: what your friend wanted. And yeah. then the part that was so like scary to me is that like they start making out and then you see all the animals in the forest start like staring at them. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what's happening? And she's like, they're waiting. Mm-hmm. Oh! Yep, and she,
1: like, unhinges her jaw. And disembowels that Mm -hmm. bitch. Yep, and eats him. So the town is, again, really torn up. There's been this tragedy, and now this other kid has died. But Jennifer has never looked better. She
2: looks incredible.
1: (laughs) The band, Low, Shul- uh, Low Shoulder, shoots to heights of popularity uh, on the back of this tragedy. And yeah, was- there,
2: there were rumors that they had saved people from the fire. You know, yes, their which heroism. they reinforced. Yeah. Yes,
1: that they were present at this thing and they saved all these people. And so that made them instant successes. And, you know, that's all part of that political commentary of just like people who are profiting off of tragedy. tragedy. So then after this, some time goes by and Jennifer starts looking, you know,
2: pretty shitty for her. Well, I, I was going to say, I think it's important to mention it's been a month.
1: Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's been a period of time. They're starting to heal as a community, right? right? And um, Jennifer,
2: for her, is looking rough because that was something we were talking about, how she literally is so perfect that it hurts to look at. Yeah. When they try to make her look bad, she still looks better than me on a good day. They
1: just stopped putting concealer under her eyes. Like, that's pretty much all they, all they did. And they just like didn't brush her hair. Well, something
2: that I find really interesting, the first thing I don't agree with, she lost a lot of weight for the role. She was already very thin, but her uh, reasoning was to look even more like sickly and vampire-like and to also gain that she didn't go in the sun for like months at a time. She'd Mm -hmm. make sure she had like an umbrella or something so her skin remained as pale as possible.
1: Yeah, because she usually tans pretty well. Like she's pretty tan in like she, uh, Yeah, she's
2: definitely got more of that look. So in order to kind of keep that like almost vampire-like aesthetic. She ate less, which I don't recommend. And she didn't stay in the sun hmm. for a long period of time. So she was probably lacking some vitamin D as well. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean and that they definitely play that up in the times when she's supposed to look like not good. Like she looks, she's got like dark circles under her eyes. She's got dark like circles
2: that. under her eyes. Her hair is a little bit tousled. Yeah. A little a lanky. Yeah. yeah. There's, but that's it. She still looks like Megan Fox.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> still like a solid like nine, nine and a half. Nine point know. five. Yeah. yeah. Uh, around this time, Needy's goth friend colin played by kyle gallner who i think is underrated i just have to say that i'm like he was in so many things in the 2000s and always think he's great and i think he's underrated and where is he now he was just in well he was in the scream movie the last Scream movie not a big horror guy yeah not a big part and then he was also in a movie called dinner in america which was very weird but he was good
2: in it oh i forgot to mention max went to high school with the guy that played chip Oh, interesting. Yeah, he went. So they're both from Dallas because I mentioned I was watching this movie, and he was like, Oh, I know. Same as like John Simmons or something like that. And um, I, I guess because Max auditioned for like a very short period of time. He was like a child actor uh-huh. or whatever um, when he was back in Texas. And so after like high school, when they didn't see each other, he would like see him at auditions and stuff sometime and then saw him again in L.A. And I was like, that's so random. So Chip, we haven't mentioned him yet. Is, yes.
1: Is that what well, we mentioned him, but not his name. He's uh, Needy's boyfriend. Yes. He actually looks like he's in high school, but they're all like the same age. Like they're all 24, 23.
2: Yeah. So he does have quite a baby face. He does.
1: But so around this time, Colin, who's Needy's girlfriend, asks Jen out. And at first she's like, nah. But when she sees how much Needy likes him, she's like, actually, okay." So she lures him into this abandoned
2: house to seduce him. Okay, really quick. On the way to the abandoned house, he is playing the worst yeah. ever cover. It is a pop punk cover of I Can See Clearly Now. Yeah. And the only thing I could think of because I knew I was going to watch this for this show is the pop punk cover of Driver's License okay, but it's so one's much amazing. better. It's so good. It truly is like that. That cover is so good. Why is it so good?
1: But this was a time when pop punk covers of songs like that were big. It was the thing. Did you
2: yeah. ever watch Dave Days on YouTube? No. He was like a, he would do like comedy spoof songs and pop punk cover styles and things like that. I was really into his videos at the time, but it's a very similar thing where they would take, he would do like love story and pop punk and things like that. There were a lot
1: of groups that did that. Yeah. Like I think Gimme, 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 something in the Gimme gimmies, they did a lot of that too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Me first in the Gimme Gimmes. I think like so. That. Yeah. It was
2: definitely a thing during this time. Yeah.
1: So he shows up at the abandoned house and
2: um, she's like, I'm going to seduce you, which uh, I feel like if I'm. <sighs> it's very creepy seducing. Like, I think if I were a guy, I'd be like, this is coming on too strong.
1: But I think there's this idea that like teenage boys are like, OK, well, this is weird. But if I can get laid, it's fine. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but meanwhile, Needy and her boyfriend Chip are hooking up at the same time at Chip's house. As Jen is murdering and eating Colin, which it I is have to say gory. It's gory, but it's kind of funny. And she's really... like leaning over his like disemboweled body and just like cupping
2: blood. You, you just see the shadow of her like picking up body parts and putting it in her mouth. Yeah. It's it's a sight. So
1: while this is happening and Needy is having sex, she's also having weird visions, um, alluding to maybe some kind of best friend psychic connection or something. Right. I don't know the magical properties of this movie. It's well very there confusing. is something
2: tied to to the necklace at the end, but nothing is ever really made clear throughout the film, so it's kind of left to us to it, guess. Yeah, it's it's somewhat confusing. They do have some sort of like best friend telepathy involved. Yeah, so needy
1: flees uh, like at mid-sex, after-sex, unclear, but she she runs, she gets in her car, and she almost hits an animal-like Jennifer with her car. So Jennifer is like running all around all on fours. like all fours. She's like, ah. she's great. Megan Fox, Megan Fox is so, is so good, good. Uh, but she like basically almost hits her with her car. Yeah, like, kind of does hit her, like damages the car. And when she gets back to her house, she finds a very fresh, beautiful looking Jennifer in, in her, her bed. bed. Cue <laughs> the hot makeout scene between Amanda Seyfried and which is Megan like Fox.
2: that was hyped up so much. So much. Yeah. If I knew two things about this movie before seeing it, it was that she lights her tongue with a lighter. Uh huh. And that there's a kiss between Amanda Seyfried and Megan Fox. And apparently Diablo Cody originally wanted to write a sex scene. And I'm very glad she didn't. Because I think that the kiss alone in 2009 was a big enough of a salacious moment. That it kind of took away from the point of it, I think, at the time. Where if there had been a sex scene, I think it would have taken away from that point even more.
1: And, you know, we'll expound on this. But that's something that I have a problem with a little bit with this movie is that that scene, while very hot and awesome that we're seeing some, you could argue, queer representation in the film, none of the characters are explicitly queer. No, I mean,
2: uh, Jennifer does make a a flippant comment about going both ways later yeah, on, but, but it's, it's in reference to killing. Right. Um, I think because Megan Fox came out as bisexual around the time as this movie's right. premiere, I think that a lot of that was kind of, like, rewritten in our minds because of who Megan Fox was and how she identifies. But I also think that uh, this scene was, was very impactful because I think that, you know, like we were talking about earlier, the intensity of female friendships and also the experimentation I think because I think that that's something that young girls are it, they're said that it's okay for you to like kiss your friends see your friends naked kind of experiment a little bit before you go off with like your future boyfriend or whatever like yeah yeah you know which I I can see that as
1: well, but also I wish they'd just been brave enough. I mean, I wouldn't actually have had a problem if there was a sex scene between them if they had just been brave enough to make that an actual romantic thing,
2: right? You know, but I but I don't think it was, and this is I don't think that Needy and Jennifer necessarily had true romantic feelings for each other. I think it was more so the intense bond that they had and i think that you know she makes reference to you know it was either like playing boyfriend and girlfriend or playing mom and dad like they used to and i think that that's something that like a lot of young girls have experienced and i think that that makes a lot of sense because it's almost like i don't think that they were kissing each other because they are sexually attracted i think it almost has to do with a very intense relationship the emotions that were going on the closeness that both of them wanted to feel I think there's a lot involved with that kiss that's more than just a sexual attraction yeah
1: you know I think definitely that because that's very true of, of female friendships I also think though that like there was a lot of camera work in this movie for me that for but again, it's hard. It, it's hard to describe. That it because felt it's, gratuitous. It's, it's hard. Well, no, no, no. I. Well, I mean, there were aspects of it that I felt like were were malegazy. But for the most part, it was more that there was camera work done for me that made it seem like Needy is enamored with Jennifer. Right. And whether that's friendship, uh, whether she's enamored in a friendship way or it's something more than that, it's unclear because like there was. Very deli- there were very deliberate shots done where, like, she's holding Jennifer's hand during the, like, yeah. you know, they were singing, and there was something on Needy's face that felt like it was directed to be that way, yeah. And again, I don't know if that's just because she's so like, it could have been a friend
2: or because, and it could have been her neediness, you know what I mean? It could, it could be not wanting to share your friend in a way it could be jealousy even if it isn't like because i want her for myself but because i want to feel this close to her forever and i don't want anyone to come in between yeah
1: i mean because for jennifer in this scene it feels like manipulation to me yes like this
2: is very much like but it means something more to needy
1: yeah she knows that whether whether she knows that needy has a romantic attraction to her or whether she knows that she just loves her in that very intense friendship way she knows she can manipulate needy into doing what she needs with with her physicality and she does and And, and that's
2: what she's done throughout the movie too and this was just another i think more intense way of doing that for needy yeah and so she
1: does seem to needy is into it at first or it seems to be and then because she's starting to catch on that something is very weird. She just saw her friend like crawl on all fours and then break her windshield. Yeah. Um, She ends it. And then after that, that's when Jennifer tells her everything that happened. So basically that night after the, when the fire started and she went away in their van, they told her that they were going to do something to her. She's starting to get scared. And then she starts telling them like, I am a virgin. I am a virgin. You don't
2: like you want me. You want to find someone that knows what they're doing. Right. right? Yeah. You
1: You don't you don't want me because she thinks that something else is happening. But I mean, I will actually say that despite the fact that this movie is a very campy, cheesy horror movie, horror comedy movie. This
2: whole part was quite effective. I thought was was scary. This whole scene is very real. Megan Fox, I think, performs it very well. She's very vulnerable. She's very scared. And I think that when we see this character that's hot and loved and popular and, you know, all this stuff. And we see her kind of be very, very vulnerable and scared. You kind of see those walls break down in her character a little bit. And I really think that she played that scene so she did and
1: the 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 scene is simultaneously the the content of it is terrifying but then it has some of the funniest lines in the whole movie oh yeah like they're at one point because basically they're going to sacrifice her for fame they're going to sacrifice her to satan so that they can be famous and at one point one of the guys tries to like back out and he's like adam brody's like do you want to work at the coffee shop your whole life? Or
2: do you want to be like the guy from Maroon Five? <laughs> like, the guy from Maroon Five. <laughs> and then they find out that her name is Jennifer right before they go to kill her. Adam Brody is terrifying. In so this. they He's start so singing 8675309. As they're killing her. As they're killing her. Right. And I'm glad that there was some levity in there because it was a very intense scene. And I think in order to keep it in that dark comedy campy level, it was good that as they are attempting to kill her, they're singing, Jenny, I got your number. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, my God. It's, it's something. Uh, it's something. So she tells all of this to Needy. She shows her that, like, basically, like, once I've fed, I'm kind of indestructible. She stabs herself with a pen to, like, show her or, like, a whatever. Yeah. Skewer to show her that, like, yeah, whenever. She's I've, unkillable. I'm basically unkillable. I am a god. Yeah. <laughs> As she says. And then she kind of, whenever Reniti tells her to leave, she kind of like lightly threatens Chip. Like she's kind of like, Chip's been looking really good these days. Or whatever. It's a little
2: scary. It's funny because I was doing some reading about, you know, we're going to talk about succubus and things like that. But um, I read an interview that Diablo Cody did and kind of explaining this monthly process that Jennifer goes through as kind of like reverse puberty, right? So once a month, she becomes unbelievably hungry you know for for flesh or whatever and this makes her listless and moody and it changes her appearance it makes her cranky earlier in the scene before Colin or earlier in the movie before Colin asks her out um needy asks if she's PMSing and what's funny is Megan says PMS was made up by men to make us feel needy you know what I mean something like that so or make us seem crazy make us seem crazy yeah so Diablo Cody kind of changed that in this, you know, teenage girl who once a month has to feed off the blood of others in order to keep herself like sane or whatever. But this is the exact quote from Diablo Cody. She says, in a sort of reversal aspect of how puberty changes in a girl's life, Jennifer must consume the blood of others once a month or she becomes weak and plain looking. And I think that's so fascinating because it also kind of plays on that moon cycle of what we go through in our periods or we're not really ourselves and we feel like out of sorts in our own bodies and things like that. And that was something that I never really considered with that. When I watched the movie for the first time, when I read about it later, I was like, oh, I like that. That's Yeah.
1: Cool. Yeah. So after this, Needy does a bunch of research on the occult and realizes that the curse must have backfired because Jen wasn't a virgin. Yeah, uh, during the sacrifice, so now she is a succubus, condemned to feast on human flesh. And they do very explicitly say succubus, even though this movie was marketed as more of like a vampire type movie. Yeah, she's not
2: a vampire. No. Uh, And this obviously concerns Needy greatly because she has a boyfriend. And she's like, you're not safe. There's this big spring formal going on. And to her, it would just be this feeding frenzy for Jennifer. So she is telling Chip, you know, I just learned this about my friend. Please don't go to the dance. Please don't do this. And a, he does not believe formal, her. spring formal that
1: low shoulder is playing at.
2: Yeah. Okay, so we
1: are heading into the part of the movie where I, I'm, I'm upset about. Like, I do not like the way this movie ended at all. I don't think that. It makes sense for the movie to have ended the way that it did.
2: Okay, I'm uh, curious to know what you have to say. Okay, we will get there. So,
1: Needy goes to the dance solo in the ugliest 1980s dress
2: I've ever seen. What What made her think that she should wear that dress in 2009? I, I, I thought they were going to explain that like that was like her mom's prom dress or something. They should have because... It makes... It made no sense. No sense. And, like, even the hair and makeup is very, very 80s. 80s. It was very And it's not like she was wearing 80s clothes the whole movie where that would make sense with her aesthetic. It just... And none of it made because sense. Because I
1: know there was an 80s revival, like, when I was in
2: high school. But yes. But it, not that kind of 80s revival. There right. was
1: nobody in my school wearing those... Like, the big puffy shoulders were definitely not a that thing. That was
2: seen as, like, the bad part of the 80s yes. we don't need to bring back. yeah You know? Exactly. I, it was very confusing. I feel like you would more see something reminiscent of that style today in a more modern way yeah, than you shoulders. would have in 2009, definitely. you know?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, nothing about it was 2009 at yeah, all. Yeah, I
2: wrote at least try, girl. <laughs> well, yeah, because
1: I was just like, if you, if they'd explained, she had a close relationship with her mom. If her mom was like, I'm so excited you're wearing my dress or something, I would have been like, okay. one extra line would yeah. have made
2: all the sense in the world.
1: So Chip also went, and then Jennifer, you know, stalks up on him, convinces him that Needy was cheating on him, and to hook up with her instead. This
2: makes no sense to I mean, me. And this is the fucking plot hole because Chip didn't like Jennifer the yes. whole movie and he's automatically just going to believe her that his girlfriend has been cheating on it's him this whole weird, time think, and then agree to make out with her? It's a weird
1: commentary on like, again, I think that they're really selling teenage boys as like... Purely sexual beings. Yeah, and just, she hot, so will do. You know, like, <laughs> it's just, it's weird. Um, but also, I mean, the whole thing is weird. Like, I have so many issues with this because I'm like, Jennifer, the, the people who did this to you are right there. Like they're like, why would you go after? Like, why would you go after? She seems very hyper fixated on people. Needy likes like people who are close to needy. Like Colin was needy's friend. Chip is needy's
2: boyfriend. Ah, Like why are you shoulder doesn't mean anything to needy. So maybe that's why, even though they did this to her, that's not her top priority. And that's,
1: where I have an issue with this movie. That's right. where I feel like this movie fails in a way that Teeth didn't fail, right? Because, or was successful at, because Teeth did kind of the same thing, but she was going after people who had harmed her. Like she was going after like abusers, yeah. right? Which is not what's happening here. She's, She's kind just, of just going after boys. Going after boys, like any. Boys.
2: Well, and it kind of, like you said, I didn't think about it, but it does seem to be a trend of people that Needy gives her stamp of approval on.
1: Yeah. And it's to me, that's strange. I feel like, and again, it can be this because then it becomes more of a conversation about female competition rather than I feel like, why don't they together, like, even if they did it together, like, let's go after low shoulder. Low shoulder. They were
2: right there. Like, well, but maybe it's maybe it's showing a, a reality. Of friendships and how friendships grow apart and sometimes people are manipulative that you Maybe. love. I don't know. I think that... I don't like the messaging though because I'm just like... I Well, just it's, feel mixed, like it's mixed messaging and that's why it doesn't make sense because none of that is implicitly said in the movie, which is why it's leaving us to try to figure out what her motivations are. Right.
1: Because her character to me, like Jennifer's character feels a little all over the place. Like I'm, yeah. not, I'm not entirely sure what her character or what her motivations are. Period. You know, like it's
2: I understand. I understood through most of the movie about the fact of why she was going after boys. I think that that's a pretty clear indicator. It's like these are the ones that hurt me. I'm going to go after this but you have type the of person. Actual
1: ones that Eggs, hurt you. That's what I'm saying.
2: That doesn't. I didn't even think about that when I was watching it, but that doesn't make any sense. Yeah,
1: I just I feel like it would be so much more cathartic for the character and for the audience. Yeah. for her to have. For us to have seen for if she showed
2: up at the dance Get and it. took yeah. him down, yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, you like should like written a the movie,
1: Carrie. Situation, thank you so much. I um, love Carrie. Anyway, Jen and Chip end up in like an abandoned YMCA or some shit. It's It's some
2: random I thought it was gonna be an empty pool that people could skateboard in, but no, there's still gross ass water. It's disgusting. I know. I would I wouldn't want to make out even near that water. Yeah, I'm not trying to get in that at
1: all. Like it it looked pretty gross. But so they end up there. Needy has another weird friendship vision, so she finds them and they girl fight it out. They yep. duke it out, resulting in because Chip is already he's he's, he's damaged. Been, yeah, yeah, he's he's been chomped on a little bit. Uh, he, he's been nibbled. Yeah, a little taste. Um, he ends up stabbing Jennifer, who flees. Yeah, she runs away, and then Chip bleeds out. He dies. There's this moment between Needy and Chip where she's like, I love you. And he's like, I love you, too. Or whatever. But I'm also... But you just cheated on your girlfriend, so... And I don't know. I just didn't sense that kind of, like, relationship from those two. Yeah. Not, Not to the point where... I don't know. Because after this... Needy's like, I know what I have to do. I have to get a box cutter and end this with Jennifer. And I think and it's kind of framed in the movie like she's avenging Chip's death. But I think it's more about like she doesn't want her to go after anybody else.
2: Yeah, it's about her ending Jennifer's spree.
1: Yes. So she breaks in. uh, Those two duke it out. It's a very funny kind of (laughs)
2: girl fight death. Yeah. (laughs) Well, because then like all of a sudden they're in the air and they're spinning around right? and levitating and all this stuff. Uh And this is kind of when, you know, some of the BFF magic, I think kind of shows itself because when needy rips, you know, Jennifer's half of the BFF necklace or whatever off. That's when they kind of go falling onto the bed and needy is able to stab her best friend. And I love that when Jennifer is stabbed, she it's just amazing. goes, my tit. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's very funny. Look, you either love it or you hate it. And I think it's funny. I I, I'm like, that's so funny. died at that line. Because she's just like in her little like... <sighs> my tit. was <laughs> like, no, your heart. No, I got you in the heart. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. So and then Jennifer's mom, who we've never met before. I was literally thinking the entire movie, where are her parents? No, where no are point. Jennifer's parents? What do they think she is up to? And when I finally see Jennifer's mom, I was like, she has parents. They're here. But her mom walks in on needy over her daughter's bloody, lifeless body. So obviously it appears, and it's true that needy, killed Jennifer.
1: Right. So that's why she ends up in the psychiatric hospital slash right. prison. Uh but what we learn is that because she was bitten by a demon, she has some demonesque properties. So she busts out of the facility. motherfucker
2: le- so I noticed this in the beginning of the movie that there was a, a it was a very tall solitary confinement cell, right? But I know, I was like, there's gotta be a reason for this and there's a window at the very top and it was something that I noticed at Mm -hmm. the beginning of the movie randomly and so she's, you know, sitting in solitary and she begins to levitate all the way up to this window and breaks the window and is able to flee and break through the fences and Mm -hmm. go off as a free person. immediately
1: finds the knife, the Bowie knife that was used to murder Jennifer. Yeah. Um, immediately finds it. I guess she found the exit point for for the giant waterfall situation. Right. Uh, so she takes that and then in a very teeth-type ending... That's the same thing that I wrote. I was like, did they just hijack this ending from teeth? Yes. So she... Just like in Teeth, she She hitchhikes. hitchhikes. But unlike Teeth, it seems like the guy, although you think he's going to be super weird and creepy, seems like he just drops her off where she's trying to go. Yeah. Uh, And she goes to the low shoulder show. And you don't... I don't... It's like a
2: credit sequence, kind of, how this is showed. It's like snapshots. I want to see them get got. I want to see them get got, but I also kind of liked that because I think that the unknowing of how it happened is also kind of shocking because you see, it's kind of like the end of the hangover where you start to see their photos from their trip to Vegas and you're seeing them like partying and having a great time and going back to the hotel and then all of a sudden there's Polaroids of them dead and it's like evidence photos and you know, their bodies are covered in sheets and there's blood everywhere. Right. And I think that that was almost kind of like a very jarring thing because you don't know exactly what happened, but you know that needy had everything to do with it.
1: Yeah. I mean, they do show like, there are some pictures where you see like bodies, but you don't see like, yeah, you don't see their, their faces or whatever, but I think you-, you
2: actually do see a few. Oh, do you? Yeah. I think that there was a few, but like, yeah, they, it kind of looks like it goes from like Polaroids of their night to Polaroids of like yes. evidence for police. Yes, right. Yes. Um, we should also say
1: an hour into this episode that we were watched the unrated version oh yeah (laughs) so if it's different from anything we're saying is different from what you watched uh, that would be why it's
2: on Amazon Prime video if you'd like to watch it but I was like I can watch the
1: regular unrated I'm
2: watching the unrated yeah yeah
1: so let's take a quick break and then we will come back and talk a little bit more in depth about everything that went on in this movie outside of just the recap let's do it (laughs) okay
0: are you ready to shop Rakuten's big give week is back
1: And we're back. All right. So, I feel like we should address some of the bad stuff first. We kind of touched on it a little bit, but there is racial insensitivity in this movie. This movie is extremely white. Uh
2: Yeah. Every main character in this movie is white. I cannot white. think of a single person of color except for Ahmet, the foreign, the foreign exchange student yeah. who gets killed and then, by Jennifer. And then
1: there's one there's one and and I feel like there were some racially insensitive comments made about him yes. early on. Yes. And then there is one Asian girl student who oh. is the one who calls her a oh, lesbian, lesbian. A, uh, and then defends low shoulder. <laughs> but that's, that's kind of it. Oh yeah. And, and the black woman um, who works at the prison who gets kicked in the face by Amanda Seyfried. In the yes. Beginning. So, yes.
2: There's not a lot of, it's not a, a lot of great representation going no, on. In I mean, film.
1: one of the only characters who does have, a name who's not white is Ahmet the Indian, which is what they call him throughout. Um, And he does end up getting eaten by Jennifer. And
2: it's so sad because like everybody just assumes this poor kid died in the fire. Yeah. But Jennifer finds him after she had been attacked just kind of like roaming the streets. And she was like, does anyone know you're here? Does your host family know you're here? Do they think you're dead? Well, then I'll just kill you.
1: I'll eat you. Yeah. I mean, and that's the kind of thing that's that's part of what I was saying earlier where I'm like I liked teeth better because it was more not I didn't like the movie better necessarily but like I liked her motivations better because it was more focused like she wouldn't have just killed Ahmet, this guy who did nothing to her, right? Just exactly. Because, you it's know. just to
2: the people who have actually done harm to her,
1: right? So the representation for non-white people is not great in this movie, and it's it's very much lacking. And then, in addition to that, there are lots of lines. You know, there is something said about Ahmet in the beginning, and then after Needy has spent the whole night scrubbing the floor, and her nails are dirty. Oh God, this line. Uh, Jennifer tells her to quote, "Find a Chinese woman to buff her." Situation. Yeah, it's bad. So that's not good. That's real bad. We already talked about the R word being used, ableist language being used yeah. a lot uh, throughout the films.
2: So that's not good. Um, a lot of homophobic language is used throughout the film. Yes, that's not great. Yeah. Although what's interesting is that Megan Fox in an interview years later talks about how that movie for a lot of young women who did see it, it was a very influential thing for them. And they're like, either she made them realize that they weren't straight or that movie made them realize they weren't yes. straight for some reason. Because while I think there is some homophobic stuff and there's also some like very unclear... Um, I guess, like, romantic feelings in this movie. I do think that it is, at the same time, like, very sapphic and queer. And I can understand why, even though it isn't outwardly queer, I can get why a lot of, like, young queer people watching it would be able to resonate with that Mm -hmm. and be able to, like, understand something about themselves through the movie, especially when it comes to, you know, the complicated ways that we feel about female friends and friendships and other women in our lives. And what does that mean? And so I think that while there's a lot of negative things to do with the gay community in this movie, it's interesting that there's also been an influx of people who have really identified with certain parts of the film as well.
1: Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit more about that, because there have been lots of accusations of queer baiting for this movie. So there seems to be a a lot of mixed opinions within the LGBTQ community and outside of it about how queerness or bisexuality is represented in the movie. So a lot of self-identified queer people that I was able to find on the internet, particularly female identifying people found the scene between needy and Jennifer to be an awakening moment, like you said for them. But others thought the fact that the movie didn't go out of its way to identify any of the characters as queer or bisexual, right to be problematic. So let's break this down a little bit because there are arguments on both sides Because this movie was so heavily marketed towards the male gaze, which is something that we've already kind of talked about a little bit, there was tons of marketing about Amanda Seyfried and Megan Fox kissing, and it was marketed to men as like, you should see this movie because of this thing. Well, and that's
2: the thing is that I think that two women kissing has been marketed to men for much of history as a way for men to feel excited not for women to feel seen or identified with in some way and I think that in a lot of ways it does have to do with the culture of that time as well. I think both in the fact that they aren't openly queer characters. I don't think that that was something that was very common in movies at that time, especially if that wasn't going to be part of the plot of the film. Um, But I also think that that was a way of still either adding that element to the film or it was truly a way to be, Gratuitous in showing two women's love for each other. And I think that that's
1: kind of the argument here, right? Because which is it? And I I also think that those waters get very murky. And I don't want to take away from anybody's personal experiences um, with. Any of these movies because you could say the well, same thing. Well, all can be true at the same time. Right, exactly. You can say the same thing about like wild things. There's a scene like that, which a lot of of people are like, This was my awakening moment, or cruel intentions. Those things were obviously put there and and this one was actually directed by a woman. Those were directed by men. Yeah. It was very clear the way they were shot that it was supposed to be this very male gazing moment. But for a lot of people who are questioning their sexuality at the time... It's still helpful. It was...
2: Yeah. It's still it, representation. It's it
1: still... Yeah. Yeah. It still felt like... It was an, an aha, like eye-opening moment right. for those Right, and in t- like,
2: if this movie had come out today, I don't think that it would have necessarily the same impact as it did even in 2009. Well, if this movie was to come out
1: today, I think they would make it more explicit. I think they Exactly, would make, they there would, would have
2: to be more conversation about
1: sexuality. sexuality. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Um, so I totally see how this film can be read as a feminist text because the plot is basically about a woman who is reduced to her sexual history. Yeah, and then murdered, and then goes around killing boys. Yeah. So, very fun.
2: <laughs> <laughs> super fun, laugh. super feminist. Isn't that all we are, just like man-eating man-haters anyways? I mean, it's, it's. I get it. Like, it's a play on it, which I'm totally here for. I'm here to make fun of myself, and, and I love and that. And it's
1: supposed to be exactly. campy, right? Like, exactly. It's supposed to be silly, um, and we've already talked about kind of like the ways in which I feel like Teeth maybe did this better. Yeah. uh, Because it was more focused, like the, the protagonist's like motivations were a bit more focused. I think this movie makes more sense when you look at it as a commentary on sexual assault. Yeah. So I watched a video essay from The Take and it basically discusses this movie and argues we are supposed to be distanced from Jennifer as a person because it's not about Jennifer. It's about Jennifer's body. Right. Ah. So she's reduced to her experience in the beginning, like whether or not she's a virgin. And then her body is immediately taken over by a demon.
2: Yeah, it's no, it's no longer her that's in right, control of her body. Of her
1: body. And The Take argues that Jennifer attacking those around her, even though they had nothing to do with her assault, is a commentary on how sexual assault can affect everyone around them and cause the victim to lash out at people seemingly at random or engage in sexual promiscuity, which are or both- Or
2: also a lack of trust. I think that's it too, because I think that a lot of people who have been sexually victims of men can grow up having a very big distrust in men in general. And I think it doesn't matter if that particular person has hurt you or not. I think that if that was what was intended to be shown in the movie, that that makes a lot of sense. Right, yeah, I think it does too. And I think that both of those things um, as well are
1: symptoms of rape trauma syndrome like if if something like that has happened to you and technically we can get into the weeds about the fact that jennifer wasn't raped she was murdered but i think that the feelings that you have in that scene where she is being murdered feel very much like sexual assault and i
2: also think that there is you know if you look at what sexual assault does it really is about stripping someone of their autonomy. Yeah. And I think that that is, you know, whether it be through a true sexual assault or whether it be, you know, being tied down and stabbed and sacrificed, I think that both of those things tie into a feeling of a lack of autonomy and control over yourself and other people having that control for you.
1: And it was men doing this to a woman and it was men doing it to a woman who was supposed to be of a certain, you know, sexual status as well, you know. So I think the parallels are definitely there and if you look at the movie through that perspective the fact that she goes after those closest to needy is not because she feels romantic competition because you could read it that way that like she goes after the people who are close to needy because she wants needy for herself right um but if you look at it from this perspective as though it's like a response to trauma uh she could be protecting her that she does it because subconsciously she blames her for what happened to her because oh. there's that scene where like you didn't do enough to stop them from taking me yeah. right like there's that scene between them where she's watching them shut the door yeah and so you could look at it from that perspective as well which mm. I think is actually it helps me make more sense of it
2: it helps me too yeah
1: yeah and I don't know if that was the intention but right. I think it works yeah on that level yeah yeah So, let's talk a little bit about why the film wasn't successful at the time. Yes. We've already (laughs) touched on this a little bit, but the movie was very much marketed. I mean... Roger Ebert marketed it as Twilight for boys. Yeah which, which makes
2: no sense for me whatsoever because Twilight isn't funny or it's not supposed to be funny. Um, and this movie wasn't for boys. And like, this sorry. movie was not for boys no. but, I under, but you know you get Megan Fox and Amanda Seifert in there. You get a kiss in there. And it get, was. The poster very much feels like. Well the poster did no help so it's Megan Fox in like a mini skirt and a tank top in a s- classroom and on the whiteboard behind her the blackboard behind her just says hell yeah Yes, like to me that says nothing about the movie. I think that if they had gone with a a more dark and ominous theme like Teeth, like their movie poster and their promotional poster is that like her in the bathtub Mm -hmm. with the flower and things like that. It is this kind of ominous well, tone I mean, in a way but i they they almost portrayed it as like a boy comedy and it's not yes, like there was not, no horror involved why
1: not market it towards who it's supposed to be marketed to like at the time i think there was a lot going on where they thought we can't sell a movie if we can't get boys to show up to this movie at the film school we went to actually they one of my teachers actually said that they yeah. were like people make movies for boys 14 to 18. If they can get that demographic, they feel like they can sell the movie. Which so, is interesting
2: because I feel like throughout history, it's like the boys are being like dragged to the romantic comedies with their girlfriends and things like that. I would say that you should get the girl to want to go and she'll drag her boyfriend with yeah, her. You I mean? You know what I mean? A,
1: of course it had to be about what men want. Like, of course yeah. it did, but it failed the movie because you were advertising it as something that it wasn't like. Like, yeah. it, it's not this when you look at it as a one-to-one with Twilight because they were like Twilight was for teen girls and this is going to be for, for teen, boys. teen boys what Twilight was for t- teen girls but no because she's eating teen boys the whole time they don't yeah. think
2: that's sexy um, it's exactly the same reason why all of my male friends hated teeth <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean like it terrified them this wasn't a fun movie watching experience for them and it wouldn't be a fun movie watching experience for boys either and I think that because it was marketed as such as being this kind of over overstim- Sexed boys horror comedy. I I didn't think that it was meant for me. I didn't watch it. Right. Yeah. So
1: the marketing totally failed the movie. Right. Um. In addition to that, everything we already talked about with Megan Fox, and also she had been very on- honest about working with Michael Bay. Right. And he was on a the warpath vendetta
2: against her. Um, she was twenty three years old, well, like when this movie came out, and Michael Bay was. A grown man going after her, and it is looking back. It is so scary and disgusting that he would do that. He
1: tried to ruin her. Um, You know, he published a letter, or like somebody had written, people had written letter letters in support of him, condemning her because she said that it was terrible working with him on Transformers. And in the letter, like they call her a bitch. Yeah, Uh, they say all these things, and he put that letter on his website. Yeah,
2: it's. It's disgusting. And so people were really trying to go after Megan Fox. And Megan Fox Fox was unseen for I feel like a while pretty much after this. I don't know. I think she probably would still had a few movies that came out after this. But it wasn't until she started like dating Machine Gun Kelly that she like really came back into like the social zeitgeist a little bit I do remember years ago when her son was born she would let her sons grow their hair long and that was a big uh point of contentment with talk show hosts and oh, things so like she that she let
1: them grow their hair long and she let them wear there were pictures of her kids in like princess her, her boys in yeah. princess dresses and things like that because she's like this is what they wanted to wear they saw yeah. this at the Disney store and they wanted it so I let them wear it which yeah. is like yeah. She but was very, she was
2: like, you know, that was kind of where she was kind of put back into the media a little bit in defending her choices as a parent.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I feel like, you know, with all this stuff with Machine Gun Kelly, we now have come back around to thinking that Megan Fox is like
2: cringy or, or whatever. Because they act cringy because, as fuck. No, it's true. Their, their relationship grosses me out. I still love Megan their, Fox. Their
1: relationship is gross. Uh, but <laughs> I do think that Megan Fox has been and is still like very progressive oh
2: yes and 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 always has been and I think I feel like she's smart she just always seems like she's she at least like is smart in her way of Knowing who she is, knowing what she wants the world around her to look like, and really being okay with that. Because I think that, you know, being so young and being pushed into this, you know, they called her the heir of Angelina Jolie. You know, she was supposed to be this hot, wild child. And that's a lot of expectation on somebody who may not feel that their identity fits in that way. And the fact that she was so progressive and, you know, she says, I came out as bi before it was cool and, you know, things like that. It made her unpopular at the time and it took us some time to like appreciate her well you know and she
1: she just became famous at the worst really like for people who were not teenagers in the early to mid 2000s to you know late late 2000s it was really difficult I know it's still difficult for women it has always yeah. been difficult for women but the way people were just openly allowed to be highly misogynistic yeah. to a woman who was in her very early 20s and to turn her into a sexual object, uh, which she played on in this movie, yeah. know, she actively says that in interviews that like it was fun to be able to play this like camped up version of what everybody else assumes I am. I am. Exactly, mm-hmm.
2: yeah, it was just like. And if this movie had been a success. Like, that would have been a vindicator. But you know what? You It's know what a I vindicator mean?
1: now because this movie is a cult classic. It is a
2: absolute people classic. People yeah. love
1: it. Like, it, it is this, like, feminist cult classic, or people yeah. see it that way. I mean, there's arguments to be made of why it's not maybe super
2: feminist, but there but, are but arguments for it, But I understand why now people can understand that movie better than they did in 2009. Let's, let's
1: talk about why it's more popular with women today yeah. than it was maybe back in the day. So post me too the storyline does resonate with women in a different way particularly when this you have this group of men who are not only violating like this woman but they're using it as this weird bonding ritual and, and their, it's also to get something out of yes, it Yes, it's to get something out of it right in like in like post times up post me too you have these men who are willing to murder assault this woman to advance their own careers yeah and in doing so I mean I think that that is part of the brilliance of that scene with the you know 867-5309 yeah is that they are making a joke of it and that's part of even though it does bring some levity to the scene it's also very real in this in this Vox article that I read I think it was Vox yeah they were saying that quote watching that moment in 2018 when this article was written brings up unavoidable echoes of Christine Blase Ford's testimony about Mm -hmm. Brett Kavanaugh's alleged assault on her when she was a teenager of the phrase Quote, indelible in the hippocampus is the laughter that she could never like. And so sorry, going out of the quote now. Right. Um she, Christine she, Blasey Ford said that, like, she remembered that these people were laughing, laughing while she was being assaulted.
2: Yeah. It reminds me. Did you ever watch the documentary? I think it was Roll Red Roll. I didn't watch it, but you did tell me about it. I think it. I've told, yeah, it's it's about like a group of like teenage um, athletes who took advantage of a young girl and yeah. recorded it on their phone. Yes. And that's one thing that's very sickening about these recordings is that the mo- the thing you can hear the most is the laughter of the boys and the... and. You know, referring to her as looking like a dead body and thinking that's funny and just really grotesque, awful things. And while, like you said, it is levity levity in the movie, it's also shockingly accurate to how men treat assaults a lot of the times. And we
1: can view it that way. And then also, so many people in 2009. So many critics, I mean, even today, are overwhelmingly men. They're overwhelmingly white men. Yeah. So the bad critical reception that this movie got and the way that it was advertised towards men and then it was a, quote unquote, failure at the time, just because it was a failure in the eyes of the men who reviewed it. Uh, and it was a failure in the eyes of the male gaze does not mean that it's a failure in the eyes of the female gaze. Right. And so I think that that's what's happened in the last like 10 years is women have kind of taken that narrative back. Yeah. And been like, actually.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And I think that there, you know, I wonder if there were other women like me that just didn't really think that the movie was for them. Definitely. And then, you know, once they started, because to me, honestly, it was like hearing about it and doing other past episodes talking about women in horror, women in true crime, you know, all these other topics that we've discussed, Jennifer's body pops up again and again and again, yeah. and that was when I was like, I really got to see this movie at some point, right? You know? Yeah, I mean, I know we talked about it a lot when we were talking about
1: um, the churl and like female monsters of myth, yeah, because the succubus is is one of those, you yeah. Know? And I I I did feel like I missed out on something by not watching this movie earlier, and I feel like a lot of women kind of feel that way because we were led to believe this wasn't for us. Yeah. We were also led to believe in order to be kind of like cool girls that we had to go along with everybody else and hating on Megan Fox. Yes. There was just so much involved in trying to prevent us from watching this movie that I am so glad that it's getting its due now. And I, even though... There are things about it that I'm like, I don't think it's a feminist text in terms of no. like, but I do think that there are things about it that we
2: can appreciate now. I think it's messaging. If yeah. you take away a lot of like the actual literal like lines and things in the movie, the messaging overall, whether good or bad, I think is very truthful. It's relatable. For a lot. Yes, yeah. it's very relatable. And I think it shows a side of femininity that isn't discussed very much in media. it's It's the grossness and the scary and the hormones and the feelings and the love yeah. and the this and the that. And to, you know, one of the slogans for this movie is, "Hell is a teenage girl." <laughs> and I think that that makes so much sense because it's 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 showing you everything that we feel inside. That's so gross and uncomfortable and ashamed and guilty and all of those things at once. And I think that especially having this happen to a character that is so stunningly beautiful and seems to have it all really exemplifies The torment that a lot of women go through in their teenage years when they're going through these developing stages in their lives. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's also an
1: element of when we did our psychopathy and sociopathy episode, I think there is an element of even though it's repulsive that Jennifer is so kind of blasé about everything, there is also something about seeing her be powerful that is intriguing as well. You know, when she
2: lights her tongue on fire and she's like, I'm a god, there is kind of like a hell yeah Was that a conversation that we've talked about before or is this something that I've listened to or heard on somewhere else talking about women in power even if it's not necessarily what they're doing is something to look up to yes yeah, so you're talking yeah, about like female in CEOs in and things like episode, that yes yeah. exactly mm-hmm. whereas exactly. like we don't necessarily want to do the things that they're doing and we know that what they're doing is bad but the we, fact that they're able to take ownership and do those things that we wish we could do it's pretty awesome and to, to see not, and there is a fascination with like It's not
1: good, and it's not that we're saying like, oh, that's great. Yeah, go eat men. There is a fascination with the fact that she was unapologetic about being in her power. I think to anybody
2: who's been sexually abused or hurt by men in any way, this movie is definitely a a good comeuppance movie of feeling very vindicated by watching her do what she does and also watching how her, her friend defends her and then eventually defeats her, you know? Right, yeah, and watching, I think that Needy is interesting too.
1: I think she's actually arguably one of the most interesting
2: characters. Yeah, she has the biggest character arc. Yeah, you know what I mean? She's,
1: you see her kind of like struggle with this love she has for her friend and wanting to protect her friend, but also seeing the damage that her friend is doing to everybody around them and realizing that she needs to come into her own power and stand up for herself a little bit. Yep. Um That's nice to see.
2: I don't know. I like, I, the movie. I told you after I watched it, I was like, this movie is great. I don't need to watch it again. Yeah, Only because the gore. the gore I have a, even, Oh my God. The, Episode one of House of Dragons. Oh, yeah. Oh, I had my eyes closed for like five minutes. Like, I can't handle like the really, really gross stuff. It's Um, rough. But I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this movie as a whole. It was a fun watch. It it was similar. It gave me similar vibes to Teeth. And you all know how much I love that movie. Yeah, truly. Truly. All right, well, if there's anybody listening that has seen this movie and thinks that there's something we missed or if you wanted to add on to anything that we had to say, you can add yourself to the conversation by emailing us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or direct messaging us on Instagram at angry neighborhood feminist. We also have a Facebook business and group page. You can rate and review us on the business page and chat with the other listeners on the group page. We have some merch if you'd like it. You can find that link in the show notes. And last but not least, if you haven't done so well, Already, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All right, that's all we have for you today with all the being said, We encourage you to raise on. Bye. Hey there, this is Justin
0: Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of
2: podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut.